You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, we come before you this morning asking now that as we open your word that you would indeed speak to us in a mighty and powerful way. Pierce us to our very hearts, transform us into your likeness. May the preaching of your word be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We'll be continuing in our series of 1 John this morning. So if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that is page 1023. Or you can also be looking along in your bulletin this morning in the 1 John passage, 1 John chapter 5 in the first six verses. John continues the emphasis in chapter 5 that he has really begun since the beginning of the book, but particularly from chapter 3 on where he begins to talk about what it looks like to be a child of God, an assurance of the faith in God himself. I think it's safe to say in 20 plus years of doing pastoral ministry in some shape, form, or fashion for me, the topic of the assurance of salvation is one that comes up both in believers and unbelievers alike. I often reflect on this question, especially for those who are believers. God gives such an assurance in his scripture, for instance, in John 3.16, when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then John in 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so a belief in Jesus and an understanding that we are forgiven uh, through the confession of sin is part of our assurance indeed, but many remain confused. And I believe that chapter five of 1 John this morning is going to give us some staples and assurance of understanding that we are in fact children of God. I had a preaching professor in seminary who used to say these words about how to prepare a sermon. He said, you know what? A good strategy for a sermon is to tell people what you're going to say, to actually say it, and then to tell them what you said. I do feel like John is saying that in his book of 1 John, but I'm gonna steal from John and that preaching professor this morning and kind of give you the same strategy. I'm gonna tell you what I want you to get out of today and then I'll tell you what it is and then I'll recap it and tell you what I told you. First of all, here's what I'd like for you to get and here's what I want you to hear this morning. If you lack confidence and assurance of salvation, You can leave today knowing that you're a child of God. If you've come this morning investigating the faith that you can know from the words of God himself through 1 John that there is a certainty that can be be yours through the receiving of Jesus Christ and having eternal life. Jesus' prayer in John 17 makes clear that his followers are to be in the world in in the same way he was, but not of the world. So how is this assurance manifested in the life of the follower of Jesus? What does John say are the signs of being a child of God? The first one is a theological sign. Have confidence if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He says it in our passage that we'll actually look at next week of chapter 5. He gives this reassurance of believing in Jesus. But John doesn't want us to live in doubt God wants us to have assurance to know that we have eternal life. 
And this is the first sign that you believe in Jesus. You believe he is the Christ, the Messiah, as John says in chapter 2. You believe he's the Son of God, as he says in chapter 5, verse 10. And you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, chapter 4. So if you get your theology wrong about Jesus, it is detrimental to being confident of your salvation. The lie that he was only a good moral teacher or that he simply was an influential prophet or the false teaching that there are many ways to the same God is not an assurance of faith. It's not biblical. It's not what John would say, and it's not what Jesus would say. John is telling us here that the sign of confidence and assurance of faith is that you believe that Jesus Christ was the Lord and Messiah. It reminds me of the argument that C.S. Lewis made very popular called The Liar, the Lunatic, or the Lord. Maybe you've heard it before. Lewis said that Christ is either deceiving mankind by conscience fraud or he himself was deluded and self-deceived, or he is in fact divine. There's no getting out of this trilemma. Lewis goes on to explain, he said, first, if he claims to be God and yet in fact is not, he has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he has to be the greatest liar of all time, deceiving himself and others with the lie. But third, Lewis says, if he is neither of these, a liar or a lunatic, then he must be God. You can only choose one of the three possibilities. If you do not believe he is God, you have to consider him the madman. If you cannot take him for either God or madman, you have to take him as a liar. Lewis then concludes by saying, there's no need for us to prove if Jesus of Nazareth is God or not. All we have to do is find out if he's a lunatic or a liar. If he is neither, and this was Lewis's conclusion, he must be the Son of God and the Messiah who's come to save. Confidence of salvation is first knowing Jesus is Lord and not wavering in that knowledge. And with that understanding and that assurance that Jesus is Lord, then we find strength for the next, uh, the next thing that I want to give you, and that is the moral sign. You should have confidence in a righteous life. Look at what John says in verse 2 and 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Did you catch all those? That we obey his commandments, that we keep his commandments, and that those commandments are not a burden to us because we long to be like Christ. Those who practice wickedness, who plunge headlong into sin, who not only stumble but habitually walk in wickedness, have no confidence of salvation. There is no difference here in what Paul says in Romans 6. He says we're no longer slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness. He goes on in Galatians 5 to say that those who walk in the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us in John 15 that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if you live a morally righteous life, you have confidence of your salvation. Unless this standard make you despair, keep in mind that part of living a righteous life 
is refusing to claim that you live without sin. If you're beginning to squirm a bit in your seat, thinking this causes people to rest in their own righteousness rather than in the finished work of Christ. Be assured John's intent, nor mine, is to give these moral signs as a way of earning any kind of salvation, but that it would be an indicator that God has indeed saved and redeemed us. We're talking about signposts here. If you were to go into a foreign country where they drive on the opposite side of the road, Praise God, they have signs to tell us where to go and which side to drive on, right? Or if you're driving downtown, if you're like me, you're very hesitant to turn down a street this way or that way for fear that it might be the wrong way. If it weren't for that big one-way arrow, I'd be lost in downtown Birmingham. And I even have to do a a double take, oftentimes a triple take, to make sure that I can turn left if it's a two-way street for fear that I might turn into oncoming traffic. These signposts are things that guide us and assure us that we are going the right direction. John's sign for a believer in Christ, first and foremost, is to believe in Jesus, but then to have the fruit indicators. Not a stairway or a ladder to heaven, but an indicator that we're moving in the right direction. Any notion of salvation by works would be inconsistent with Scripture. Perfection is ruled out. In fact, Anne Graham Lott says of our sin that we must be mindful of. She says, God's truth reveals our sin. God's justice punishes our sin. God's mercy offers forgiveness for our sin. And God's grace clothes, clothes us in His righteousness. So salvation by works is ruled out. That is not where we're going when we talk about a moral signpost. However, 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says it very clearly. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. That's a scriptural injunction to examine ourselves. That doesn't mean we become narcissistic and navel-gaving. But there is a place to examine ourselves and to see if this fruit is really evident in our own lives. We find it in many of the Reformed confessions. In the Canons of Dort, it says, the assurance is not produced by any private revelation. Assurance springs from three things, from faith in God's promises, which he's most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort, from the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God, and lastly, from a serious and holy desire to preserve a good conscience and perform good works. The Westminster Confessions very similarly gives many proof texts about the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our lives as an assurance of our faith. It says that Second Peter, which urges us to make our calling and election sure by the diligent effort to grow in godliness and bear much spiritual fruit. The confessions clearly teach of a transformed life as one sign, not the only sign, not the cause of our right standing with God, but certainly a fruit tester, if you will. And then finally, the third sign, the social sign. You should have confidence if you love other people. First John actually says to love other believers specifically, that we should love our fellow believers in Christ. If we hate like Cain, we don't have life. But if your heart is open to your brothers and sisters, eternal life abides in you. One necessary sign of true spiritual life 
is that indeed we love one another. It is in one sense true, no one loves God and our neighbor as we should. We know we need to love God better. We're imperfect in our love. We often feel convicted of our failures. That is the normal Christian life. But if we think we have no love for God, no love for our neighbor, then we cannot make sense of Scripture at all. Look again at verse 2. He says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. John's operating with a category that there are people who are born of God and they love God and they obey his commandments. Verse 1 reiterates everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you're born of God, these three things are happening in your life. You believe in the Son of God. You love God and you love people. If the one category, none of us really love God or love our neighbor, is empty, then the second set is also an empty category that we are truly born again of God. John Stott says, the true Christian, born from above, believes in the Son of God, loves God and the children of God, and keeps the commands of God. The Gnostics had a desire to separate morality from religion, but God cannot be separated from himself. And John Calvin says, he who loves God must necessarily have his heart prepared to render obedience to righteousness. The love of God then is not idle or inactive. Look at verse four one more time with me and how remarkable it is. It says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. If you struggle and do not feel like a victorious Christian, that very well may be the normal pattern of the Christian life. But if you succumb to sin, do not turn from sin, your life is habitually marked by sin, you revel in sin, then you are at odds with what Scripture tells us to do and expects us to be. It is expected that those in Christ overcome the world. That means Christians set the ways of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, we set it aside. And we pick up our cross daily and we follow after Jesus. And when we don't do it well one day, we pick it up the next and the next and the next in pursuit of becoming more like Christ each time we do so. This doesn't mean we don't sin anymore or that you still don't have some dark days. It does mean that you bring your sin into light and are honest about it and repent and come to Christ. It means that when we don't love our neighbor as we should, we repent of it and we bring it to Christ. We're meant to have a clean conscience. Born again Christians are changed Christians. The change may be stumbling at times, imperfect at times, full of temptation at times, much struggle at times. But the change is nevertheless real, heartfelt, sincere, and discernible. And so, like my professor encouraged, let me tell you what I've told you as I close. These are John's three signposts to assure us that we are on the road that leads to eternal life. These are not three things we do to earn salvation, but three indicators that God has indeed saved and redeemed us. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We live a righteous life. We're generous towards others and other Christians. Or we may put it this way. We know we have eternal life if we love Jesus. We love his commands and we love his people. 
No one of the three is optional. All must be present in the follower of Jesus, even if it's a struggle at times. And all three are meant to be signs for our assurance as children of God. Fundamentally, it's all about Christ. Am I in Christ? Do I cling to Christ? Do I run to Christ? Am I being conformed to the image of Christ? As you're conformed to the image of Christ, you will say, I love righteousness. I hate sin. I desire to please my Father. I trust in His goodness. I believe that greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? May it be so in you today. For those who claim to be a follower of Christ, may these be indicators in your own life and cause you to reflect on what you're doing for the sake of the Lord. For those who may be coming again to investigate the faith today, may you see it today as hope for you that comes through Jesus Christ. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent Birmingham.